0: I'm actually going to read a little bit and talk a little bit before I pray. Um, I want to say we've had in Luke 15, uh, Luke 14, leading up to this, we've had a lot of challenging sermons. Would you agree with that? Some they've been challenging, beating us up, haven't they? I I would agree with that. Um, Been some hard sayings of Jesus. He said some challenging things about what it means to follow him, right? And I want to just say, hey, you're here still. (laughs) That's a positive sign, right? You heard all those hard things that Jesus was talking about, and you're like, well, we're going to come back for some more. That is a good sign right there. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. If you hear the hard teachings of Jesus, but you keep coming back, that is an awesome, wonderful sign that you're going, I'm in on this right? I'm in on this. I may not have got it all figured out, but I I think of Jesus' disciples. There's a point where he looks at his his 12 and he goes, are you going to abandon me? Because a bunch of people do abandon Jesus. And he looks at his 12 and says, you're going to abandon me too? And they go, where would we go? You have the words of life, right? And that's the that's the way a disciple responds to Jesus. They may go, man, that's hard. That's difficult. That's challenging. But where else are we going to go? I can't go anywhere. There's nothing else in this world. Nobody else has the words of life but this Jesus. And so I think that's an important thing. I wanted to mention that before we dug into Luke 15. And I also want to say before we dig into Luke 15 that uh, Luke, all of Luke chapter 15, there's, it's three parables. Okay, So we're going to do three parables. Okay, We're going to do two of them this week. One next week, we're going to knock out a whole chapter of Luke in two weeks. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? guys, Some of you are going, I don't believe it. I'll believe it when it happens. No, that's, that's the plan. Right now, we're going to knock out two parables this week. All right, so before we dig in, I need to jump back in Luke. And before I pray, I want to jump back in Luke. In Luke chapter 8, there's a question that the disciples ask Jesus, and it regards parables. I'm actually going to read from Matthew because Matthew records a little bit more than Luke does. Matthew chapter 13, and I'll put it up here for you to read. The question is, why do you teach in parables? That's what the disciples ask. And so let's look at uh, Luke 13, 10. The disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? In other words, why, why that method of teaching? Why do you do this? Okay, so here's an important question. So before we do these parables, before I pray, I want to read this because I think it's going to be helpful For us to understand how Jesus is teaching us today. Listen to his answer. He answered them. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so some, according to Jesus, some are given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. That's pretty neat. Right? Some are given to know. To others, this has not been given to know the secrets of the kingdom. Right? To those, he said, who have been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, more will be given. Now, remember, this is his answer to why he teaches in parables. These parables will do more in some. In others, he says, I mean, more will be given and in abundance. So that's what I'm going to pray in just a minute. When I, when I pray, I'm going to be praying that, okay, these parables, for those that are in this room, that it has been given to know the secret of the kingdom, I'm going to pray that God will answer and fulfill his word, that even more will be given and in abundance, right? Right? To those who have not been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, even what they have will be taken away. Jesus says, and then he says, verse thirteen: This is why I teach, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This is the why. This is uh, what he's going to say next. is a quote from Isaiah chapter six. So I'm going to go ahead and read this from Matthew chapter uh, thirteen. Uh, He says this next, and this is quoting Isaiah. He says, indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, and he quotes, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. With their ears, they can barely hear. Their eyes, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So one of the reasons why Jesus teaches in parables is a direct fulfillment of prophecy. That how he teaches when he was here on this earth, how he teaches for some it will, that have had their eyes open, it's going to open them even more. They're going to receive even more information. But parables do something to us. When you hear these parables today, it's going to have one of two effects according to Jesus. It's either going to open your eyes, you're going to see even more, you're going to be given even more, or it's going to close your eyes even more shut than they already are. So hence the reason why I'm praying after I say this, because what would our prayer then be? Lord, let us be the ones that have been given to know the secrets that even more will be given, right? So let's take a moment before I jump into these parables and let's just pray for that exact thing. Heavenly Father, we want to ask now, Lord, as you've told us that you taught in parables to, for the purpose of giving even more and in abundance to those who have been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, my hope today is that everybody in this room is amongst those that have been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, these people that are in here, they've heard your hard teachings and they've come back for more. God, in my mind, and I, I don't have your mind, but Lord, in my mind, that is a, a wonderful, amazing sign that they are, they're, they're in And so, Lord, I pray that you would have that effect today as we look at these parables, that you will give even more and in abundance. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be a single one of us today that is gonna have our eyes shut and our ears closed. I pray that as we're sitting here listening, Lord, if we detect in ourselves that we're not hearing and we don't want to hear some of these things, God, I pray that you would break through even in this moment so that everyone will be ready to hear even more of what you have. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here we go. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 says this. Now remember, he had just turned around and a bunch of people were following him and he had just said, this is what we've been talking about, hey, this is what discipleship means. He turns around now and it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near To hear him. Okay, so as I was saying earlier, I'm looking out and I'm going, hey, a bunch of tax collectors and sinners come near to hear Jesus, right? Here we are. We want to hear some more. So he said some hard sayings and some of these people say we want some more, right? So there's going to be two groups of people. This is the first group. The tax collectors and sinners is the first group. Now, I think I need to discuss this for just a little bit longer here because this whole sinner Thing, okay, Let me give you the, the Greek definition here. The word that is translated here is sinners. Um, Thayer's Greek dictionary talks about this person as someone who is devoted to sin, a sinner not free from sin, someone who is preeminently sinful, especially wicked, all wicked uh, men, especially men stained with certain definite vices or crimes. That's why tax collectors usually goes along with this in the gospel accounts because they looked at someone who is a tax collector, as someone who had abandoned the Jewish people, and we were making a profit off of them. Tax collectors were quite often wealthy because they were collecting taxes, but some of the taxes they were collecting, who was, who was getting it? They were. Okay? This is why it, that was such a thing to them and why they grouped them together. Mounts's Greek dictionary says sinful, an absolute moral failure, a sinner, and I thought that this was helpful, one who violates God's will or law in some context, one who does not keep orthodox traditions and behaviors. And then Daryl Bach in the commentary says sinners were perceived as forfeiting their relationship to God because of a lifestyle unfaithful to God's law. Now, I wanted to take a moment just to mention this because I'm telling you right now, whether you realize it or not, you may have been influenced by Christianity in the world that we live in, okay? I think most people in America, they actually don't have a problem with this title, sinner. Now, you may be going, I don't know about that. Well, let me give you some examples. I'll give you one in particular, this is one I've mentioned to several of you. Uh, privately, I don't think I've ever said it from up here. If I have, I apologize. I'm getting old and I'm repeating myself now. Um, uh, in school, I had a student in the middle of geometry class, and so some of you already know this story. Middle geometry class raised their hand, and this one particular geometry class, they like to call me pastor because they know I'm a pastor, and so if they have math questions, they go, help me out, Pastor Matt, help me out. Right, and uh, so I, I answered the questions. I was like, amen, I'll help you out right now, my sister. You know, and I, I have fun with it. It's, it's a lot of enjoyment. Well, one of my students in particular raised their hand, and it was one of those moments It was freaky. Right when they raised their hand, everybody got quiet. Now, that doesn't happen all the time, right? That does not happen all the time in the classroom. A lot of times you got to get them quiet. just so happened they, got, they all just accidentally got quiet at the same time, and I had this student raise their hand and say, pastor, is it a sin to be gay? I'm in public school, Danville High School, and I was like, okay. Now, I had, I had, I had a few moments to respond to this. And I'll be honest with you, there, there was a lot of things working through my head because that question has different meanings the way you're thinking about what they're asking. Right? I was like, okay. And just in that moment, I'm like, okay, Lord, how, how in the world? Part of me wanted to go into a long, detailed answer. Okay. Part of me wanted to go into a detailed answer to say, and, and just, just so everybody knows where I stand. I wanted to go into this detailed answer because I wanted that person, that, that kid, to know that the sin is not being something. The sin is what you do. right? And so I felt like go, I need to go into some long detail. If somebody's struggling with same-sex attraction, I, I, I'm not going to sit there and condemn them for the struggle. The, the, the sin is doing What goes against God's law. And so I was like, how do I address this in a short, succinct way that's going to help in this moment, right? And and so I said, in that moment, and I, I, I give God the glory because I thought I'd never thought about this answer before in my life. I said, well, do you want to know what I think or what the Bible says? And this student went, what the Bible says? And then I was, okay, I'm still back at my dilemma. And I, I knew in that moment, I thought, okay, I can answer this just, just point blank because I know what she means. And Lord, I, I'm just going to have to answer it directly. And even though there's, there's a part of me wants to, because, maybe it's because I'm a teacher. I wanted to go into a long, detailed explanation about this. But I thought, you know what, I'm just going to, and I went, yes. I just left it. Now, I'm sharing that story, not because of that part, but because of what happened next. What happened next was she went, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And then a conversation broke out amongst them about sin. And it didn't go long enough for me to jump in because I was really chomping at the bit to jump into this one. But then it got steered off into something completely different as it does with youth. But for a few moments after that, there was this conversation that went on where they were amongst themselves going, yeah, but everything, there's sins, all kinds of things are sins. And then they went, and God forgives. I mean, we're all sinners. And they all went, yeah, we are. bunch of sinners. And they went on, and they were fine. So I'm telling you all that to say what I'm saying right now. In their mind, in the the, the gospel setting in Jesus' time period, for them to say the tax collectors and the sinners would have been received differently than the way we would necessarily receive it. That's why I'm telling you this. Okay? We hear it and we go, yeah, we're all sinners. Some of us more happy about it than others. Go, oh yeah. <laughs> and for them, it was a rebellion against God's law. So there were people who had said, I'm not going to have anything to do with this God anymore and make it a point. We still have that today, but it's not seen in the same way. Does that make sense? Okay. For Jesus' day, these people were definitely seen. There are people that had specifically said, we're out and we're living this lifestyle in our society That doesn't happen quite the same way, and I'm going to talk about that again a little bit later. But I think it's important to understand it in terms of how Jesus is hearing this. Does that make sense? Okay, so now, this is what a sinner is, and these people have come to hear. Now let me introduce you to the other group. You already meet the other group? The other group, you've met them before, okay? Pharisees and the scribes. You guys don't like them, do you? Yeah, those Pharisees. I know how you feel about them. Pharisees and the scribes are grumbling, saying this man receives sinners. So Jesus is doing two things: he's receiving them, and he's eating with them. Now, this second group, the scribes and Pharisees, so the group, the first group, tax collectors and sinners. Second group, scribes and Pharisees. Right. This is the religious leaders, religious class. These are the leaders and the teachers of the nation. Uh, they are not, in their mind, sinners, right? What's group one doing? Group one is coming near to here. Group two, what are they doing? They're complaining about it. How? What's he doing with these people? What is their complaint? This man receives sinners and eats with them. To accepting or receive them is not... Simply just saying, I just so happened to be at La Pot and we were inside tables. Right? This is an accepting. Quite often, it was in someone's house where he's accepting them in, and he's sitting with them, and it's, he's receiving these people into his life. This is not the first time this has happened. Let's just go back in Luke, Luke chapter five. We've actually talked about this before. Some of you weren't here twenty years ago when I was in Luke chapter five. <laughs> Um, that wasn't that long ago, was it? And the Pharisees said, uh, Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, So this is not new. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners, right? This, so this is not the first time. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. We've talked about that, and there's some irony in that as well. And the irony about is who is actually well and who is actually in need of a physician. Obviously, the Pharisees are also in need of that same physician. This is not the last time this is going to come up. When we get to Luke 19, 20 years from now, right? Uh, Luke 19 is the story of Zacchaeus. Who's heard of Zacchaeus? He he was a wee little man, right? No offense to us wee little men, right? Uh, He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a what? Sycamore. Sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to... And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, you come down. Okay, so some of you have gone to Sunday school. That's awesome. Right? Uh, we were actually talking about this the other day. Not everybody, went. a lot of us we, as children were going to Sunday school and we heard these stories. And this is one of those classic Sunday school stories. But this is a real event that happened. This is Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and he was a wee little man, right? He was a little guy. I don't know if he was a midget. I don't know if he was... Did I, my sound just go out? Oh, okay. I don't know what... But, oh, wait, am are not supposed to say midget anymore? Is that a, that, a, is that the wrong way to say A little person. He was a little person. Um, I don't know. That's what my dad calls him. Uh, so, but he was a tax collector. He was a betrayer to the nation of Israel. And Jesus ends up having a meal with him. And you see this, verse 7, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be a guest of a man who's a sinner. They're talking about Zacchaeus in the story. And Zacchaeus, the verse I don't have up there, Zacchaeus, it goes on. It's kind of a long verse where he talks about how he stands up and he says, I've given all my goods to feed I mean, he's completely turned everything around at this point. That's very important. Keep this in mind. And Jesus then says to him, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of, Of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, keep that story in mind and keep that phrase in mind of what Jesus says. Back to our story. The sinners are drawing near to hear, they're eating with Him, He's accepting and receiving them. The Pharisees don't like it, they're grumbling and complaining. That's the scenario. So, what does Jesus do? I got a parable right i got a parable and that's what he does he tells them a parable in fact he's going to tell them three parables two of them i'm going to give you right now let's listen to the first one starting with verse four what man of, what man of you having a hundred sheep that would not be a huge herd of sheep for that time pretty a huge a big herd would have been around 300 this is a modest herd of sheep 100 sheep If he has lost one, then does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it. This actually would have been a very common thing for a shepherd to do. I've got the 99 here. They would probably count at the end of the day. I'm missing one. What happened to this one, especially if you had a modest herd? That one counts. Each one is important for financial reasons if for nothing else, right? This is your survival. This is what you need. And so any good shepherd would do that. And go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Now, there's a lot of ways you could have found this lost sheep. I would imagine for a shepherd, quite often, if there was one that was lost, when you did find it, it wouldn't be a whole sheep anymore, right? Maybe torn by animals. Maybe you don't find it at all. Maybe it was actually stolen. Somebody snagged one of your sheep. And so to find this one was a point to rejoice. And so what does he do? He comes home, and this joy does not stay with him. It explodes out. When he comes home, he, recall, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. I lost it, and I found it. Rejoice together, right? And they, they come together, yes. As most joyful things are, we don't do it quite the same way, but what would we do? We'd get on Facebook. I found my lost sheep. <laughs> Hashtag found sheep. <laughs> right? And you'd be so excited about it. There's a reminiscence here of something in the Old Testament that I think is going would eat, at, eat away at those Pharisees' hearing of this. And I think it would shut their eyes and their ears even more. Let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. Listen to this. There's a whole big chunk here I could read. I just want to grab one verse. Thus says the Lord God, This is the end of the nation of Israel as they've been scattered. He says, Behold, I, this is the Lord speaking, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. What's interesting about this is that if we follow this parable, Jesus has put himself in the place of this shepherd. And in a real sense, I think these Pharisees would have heard what he's saying and said, Hold up. It sounds like you're claiming to be someone that you ought not to be claiming to be. And what happens to their eyes? They close. What happens to their ears? They shut. How dare you? This is not God. You are not God. You are not the Lord. Now we hear it and we go, well, of course he is. For them, that was a big problem. The sinners, though, are seeing and hearing. I mean, think about how you would feel in this scenario, right? Let's not miss the fact that these people would have known the title sinner themselves, They would have been like, no, I'm not. They would have known. They would have felt and experienced rejection from these Pharisees already for the path of life that they had taken. In fact, the Pharisees at this time, there was a rabbinical writing where the rabbis had written. One of the things that they talked about is draw near, but don't draw near to sinners even to teach them the law. Isn't that terrible? But Jesus is doing something very different. He's doing something very different than these Pharisees. When he sees the people that are lost, he says they need, you know what they need? They need to be found. They need to be found. Imagine how you would hear this if you were one of these people. I think it's easy because guess what? You are one of these people, This is a Jesus who doesn't say, eh, he says, come on, come here, I'll sit down, I will eat with you, I will, I will fellowship with you, I will do these things with you, come, I will, th- come. But even more important than that, that you see that is professed from ages ago in Ezekiel, our God is not a God who just sits back and lets you come. He's a God who seeks for you. Some of you know exactly what this is all about. Because you were in the middle of your sin. And who came to you? Maybe he came to you in a whisper. This is wrong. You shouldn't be living this way. Maybe he came to you through a friend who knows Jesus. And they said, hey, why don't you come to church? Maybe that's all it was. That meant more to you than just coming to church. You knew what that meant to you. I'm so grateful that this is a church that I believe people know that they can come. You don't have to clean yourself up first. You can come, 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 come. This is the Jesus that we serve. Jesus then gives us an insight into something beyond the parable. He says, Just how it was in this parable. Listen to this next part and just just soak in this idea here. Just so, just like that. I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now, we're going to come back to that word. That ends up being an important concept in all of this. But in God's economy, the one who's been living in sin that repents and says, okay, fine, I'll come. (laughs) Or maybe they say, I'll come. Could I come? And does. There is joy in heaven when that happens. That's awesome. You wanna know something that brings God joy? It's when people go, I'm ready to turn away from this and come to you. And no matter what you've done or where you've been or how bad it's been or anything, it doesn't matter, anything in God's economy, if you get to that point point, you say, okay, Lord, I'm I'm ready to come, that God is there. We're going to see this so clearly in the third parable that we won't get to this week. A rejoicing father is what we're going to see. A father who says yes. Don't miss it. Our Lord is a seeking God. And what you may find out when you come is that he's been looking for you. Right? He's been looking for you. You knew it, didn't you? Anybody in here going, yeah, that? In the worst of the worst things you're doing, it's like it was like he was right there going, really? <laughs> Seriously? What are you doing? What are you doing? Mounts' Greek dictionary defines that word repent. To repent, it literally means that to have a turn of mind, a change of mind. To repent means to change any or all of the elements composing one's life, attitude, thoughts, and behaviors concerning the demands of God for right living. This is not necessarily that all of a sudden all the actions are there, but you all know exactly what it means. when you. It's like that light bulb moment, that moment that you go, what I've been doing was, was wrong, and God, this is, this is right. This is, this is the right thing. And we all know that that change happens like that so often. Does the change always, I mean, we're stuck in this body of sin, like Paul the Apostle talks about. There's a lifelong battle killing off all of that old junk. But we all know exactly what this repentance is all about. It's that moment when the light bulb goes on you're like, okay, I see it now. And I'm telling you that you have been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven as Jesus puts it. And what he wants to do is continue to give you even more and more and more. And I think one of the things you can get from this is that God is a God who seeks lost people. All right, there's another parable it's gonna mirror the first one. So you're gonna hear it and you're gonna go, I can see this saying essentially the same thing. Listen to this next one. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, and this is a, a drachma, and one of these coins would have represented a full day's wage, okay? So think about what you make in a day, a full day's worth of work, okay? That's what one of these coins would have represented. And she's got 10 of them saved up, right? What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently till he finds it? Now, I know exactly what this is like. I lose things all the time. I don't. Don't. I heard that. I think my wife just gave an amen. Um. I lose things. Well, what what happens when you lose things? Do you? Anybody in this room can testify, you lose something, what do you start? You're tearing everything apart. Do you do that? And then you start looking places where it doesn't make any sense. And, and, and it's always the last place that you look, which makes sense because you stop looking after you find it. So that, it's always the last place that you look, okay? Uh, but, but you go, I mean, you start, I I've, I've lose my keys. and I'm like, I'm, I'm tearing things apart. I'm throwing things out. I'm ripping everything apart. I usually go to my wife at least once and go, what would you do with them? What did you do? I know you do. I know you did something with them, and that—that's that, not true. It's usually me. But you tear it apart, and this is what the, Jesus say. I mean, this is this is. I love his stories because the stories that we hear, we go, I know exactly what this is like. And if you lost that big of a chunk, a day's worth of wages, and you found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, I mean, so she's like, Facebook. <laughs> Hashtag lost coin. (laughs) I found it. And she's rejoicing. And you guys are all like hitting your little smiley faces. Yay, yay, yay. Right? Well, they didn't have that then. So what did they do? She went outside. Hey, my coin. I I lost my coin. We knew you were looking at it for There's dust flying out your window. We knew you were looking for something. You found it? Yeah, it's awesome. And there's rejoicing at it. Because most likely... This woman was probably in a neighborhood with other people who a day's wage was significant. And they all went, oh, my word, I know exactly what you're feeling. And there was a rejoicing together. Rejoice with me. I found the coin that I had lost. Just so, and Jesus gives a little bit more information here. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner, repents think about that since the story is illustrating something I can't help but think that when one sinner repents God goes I found one and he sends out a proclamation angels and the angels are like there's another one and they come together and so when those moments happen when somebody says I repent, and they they turn to him. When they were facing this way, and there's that moment where they repent, God knows that moment more clearly than any of us does. He sees the heart, and when God sees that, he goes, angels, rejoice. Now, I don't know what angels rejoicing sounds like. I'm hoping one day we get to experience that, aren't you? I'm hoping one day we get to experience what that actually looks like. The Bible talks about trumps and harps and all kinds of things. I don't know. I can imagine it's loud and boisterous. I imagine it's full of joy. And I want you to know that one of the things that we ought to be doing as God's people is mirroring exactly these things. Number one, looking for the lost. Our eyes open to the lost. Our hearts open to the lost. Our house is potentially open to the lost. But the joy comes at that repentance. There's a lot of simple ways you can do that. When, that, when somebody goes, I'm, I'm trying. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm turning away from this. Yes. We ought not to ever be the sort of people that go, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Right? I encourage us as a church to be optimist about that, to encourage it, to rejoice tentatively. Now, we're not God, so we can't see the heart, but I'm gonna take every opportunity when I see someone say, yes, I'm gonna repent or I'm doing this repentance, I'm gonna take every opportunity to, to hope for the best and rejoice in that repentance and be like, yes, you can do it, because God is good and he's a seeker of lost people and that's what you were, but now you're something different. And I will be with you every step of the way. Let's do this thing, right? God does not take pleasure when sinful people get it. Would you agree with that? Ezekiel 18, God is speaking. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? This strikes at the heart of what we face on a daily basis in the world that we live in. We see a lot of terrible things going on in our world. When people get what they deserve, I encourage you not to rejoice at that, but say with God, I would much rather repentance come. I think the irony of all of this is that the, those Pharisees, are they just as much in need of repentance as the sinners? Yes. And the irony of what Jesus is saying when he says, the 99 are here, I'm rejoicing at the one lost. The irony of it all is that these 99 that they think that they're the 99 that aren't lost, are just as lost, and they're just as much in need of a Savior that's going to come looking for them too. I'm going to give you three takeaways. These are easy. You've already heard them. Takeaway number one Jesus seeks the lost. He seeks the lost. Ezekiel 34, 16. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. But don't miss the first half. I seek the lost. The ones that are wounded, the this, these are the ones. It's interesting. Uh, have, has anyone ever heard of a, a church that calls itself a seeker-sensitive church? Anybody ever heard that terminology before? Most of you haven't. Some of you have. Uh, it's a term that's meant to represent, and I don't think in and of itself it's a terrible thing. I think that there's a lot of it that's good. A seeker-sensitive church is a church that, that has its doors open to the lost where people, anybody can come. Anybody can come. I want to turn that on its head a little bit because I, I think there's an idea there that's good, but what we miss is that it's not sensitive. We ought not to be sensitive to the seekers that are coming here to seek. We ought to be sensitive to a Lord who's seeking them. Do you see that? How would we respond as a church? What if what if the Lord, I mean, right now, do you realize that right now at this moment, there could be somebody out here in Danville that's that's... God has been working on it. He's looking for them. And maybe, maybe, honestly, maybe it's just they've, they've done the same dumb thing again. And they're finding themselves, maybe even right now, they're finding themselves in a horrible situation. And in that dark, dark moment, God has spoken to them and said, there's hope. Repent and come. What kind of church is sensitive to the way that Jesus seeks people out. Let's get real practical. I think as a church, we ought to be the sort of church, and I think we are, I think we're doing pretty good at this, so I just want to make sure everybody understands, I, I think we're doing pretty good at this. Not perfect, but I think we've got, we got a good platform, a good foundation of this set. We got to be the kind of church that somebody could walk in here, no matter what manner of life they've been living could walk in here to see jesus right now there's an important thing i want to say in just a minute but 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 let's just start with this so if we had somebody to walk into this building that was openly homosexual we'll be like ah. is that what we would do we ought not we ought to be lovingly i mean because that per- you got to understand it's not about whether or not they're seeking my thought is: Is God seeking that God could be seeking them right now, and we may be the introduction to Jesus that they need. Does that make sense? How would Jesus respond to someone that's struggling with that? What about somebody? This is—I didn't think we'd have to deal with this, but let's say we had somebody that was a transsexual, so it's a man dressed as a woman. They came into our church. Would well, we be like, "Whoa, get out! We ought not." Now, there's all kinds of other questions I have about that, but primarily I want to say how are we going to be sensitive to Jesus who may be seeking that person? Right? If somebody comes in here and maybe God has been working on them and they walk into this building, we ought not be to be the kind of people that have the look of the Pharisees on their face. Go ahead. I I know, I know. You're not children. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to be very difficult for you to do because you're like, we're not children. Um, uh, what, how do you imagine the Pharisees looked when Jesus was sitting down with all these tax collectors? Go ahead and make a face. What kind of face do you think that they were making? Right? Ugh, 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 ugh Easy, madam. Ugh, ugh, yeah, that's good, that's good. Some of you, some of you, your faces didn't change. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, when, when someone comes in, is that, is that the face that's going to represent Jesus the best? I don't think so. I don't think we ought to be a, face, a bunch of Pharisees in this building. Because we're all a bunch of sinners and we know it. And we ought to respond the same way that Jesus did. There ought to be at least that certain element of welcoming. What about somebody that's a, a man and woman living together? We'll be like... Hey, you got to fix this first? No. Come on in. Come on in. Maybe they've been struggling with drugs. Maybe they've been struggling with stealing things. Maybe they've been struggling with drinking. Let's be honest. Maybe they're just lazy. Maybe there's somebody that that's their struggle. They're just lazy. We go, well, I wouldn't even make a face about that one. Well, because you're lazy. (laughs) See, the, the list could go on. There ought not to be things that we go, no, 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 you can't come in. No, that this ought to be a place of welcoming for that. Now, I need to address a side issue very briefly. Because Paul the Apostle, knowing the teaching of Jesus, there are still some hard things that he said. And so I need to address this just briefly. Because we live in a society that, unlike that society... The tax collectors and the sinners, they knew that's what they were. And the people who thought they were religious, they needed it too, but they thought they were over here. And there's a very distinct line. We've got a weird thing going on in our world today that actually didn't start with us, and Paul was addressing it 2,000 years ago. What about, What about the one who says they're a believer and they want to bring all that sin with them, not repentance? Let me ask you. Does, does anybody Is anybody aware of that type of situation happening in our world today? Well, what do we do then? That's a challenge for churches today. What do we do then? They say, well, no, I, I want to be, be welcoming to everybody. Okay, I want to bring this with me. Did you notice that both times that Jesus said there's rejoicing, it was rejoicing at a sinner who had done what? Repented. Not perfect, not perfectly cleaned up, but had had a moment. My mind has changed. I'm on board with God's way. Listen to Paul the Apostle, just in case you're ever wondering that if they ever dealt with this sort of thing, they did. And Paul the Apostle wrote these words. So listen carefully to these words, because this is my guide as a pastor of this church. And I know that Paul, even though he's not here, sinner, um, I, I'm just joking. He's he's out of town. Uh, um, I, I know that Paul and I, we've talked about this, and this is, this is one of our guiding principles. That we're, how do we navigate this crazy clown world that we live in? Paul the Apostle wrote, he says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning, hear this carefully, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world, which is precisely what some Christians have done. We can't associate with anybody, and then they start their own little... They don't have any connections with any people at all. And Paul says, I'm not talking about that. So he must have written this Corinthian church and said, don't associate with sexually immoral people. But he says, I'm not talking about those who are sexually immoral of this world. That's not what I'm talking about. Listen to what he says. But I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler or drunkard, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. See, there's something different going on there. Now, Paul has his reasons for this, and his main reason is he's hoping for their repentance. We've been talking about that lately. But how do we respond? Now, can I ask you, is this going to be an easy one to navigate? No. This is hard, isn't it? This is hard to know. I, I'm going to, if I'm going to make a mistake, I'm going to err on the side of God's grace and compassion. I want you to know as the pastor of this church, I'm going, to err, I'm going to lean that way. I like to give the benefit of the doubt. I like to give plenty of opportunity. I like to be patient. I like to be a, a cheerleader for someone who's, if they're the saying, I'm trying to repent, I'm, I'm, I'm behind you 100%. Right? But I think some of us get too quick to the other side. And I want to say, in this church, I want to lean this way. Can we lean this way together? Lean into God's grace. I'm going to trust that if there comes a point where we got to respond the way Paul's talking about here, he's going to make it very clear to us as a church. Would you agree with that? I think that's the way we got to go. we got to say, okay, Lord, if we need to respond this way, Lord, help us to see. The Corinthian church was having trouble seeing it, and Paul had to write a letter about it. Right? We wouldn't be alone, but let us... Lord, give us that direction. Paul ends that, he says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? He says, this is not those inside the church who are to judge. God judges those outside, purges the evil person from among you. And so there's a place for this as well. But may God give us the wisdom to know when and how to do these things. Amen? Okay. Takeaway number two, there's rejoicing over repentance right? He's a seeker of the lost. He's a seeker of the lost. He's a rejoicer of a repentance. I hope that this becomes a characteristic of this church. I think it is so far. I, I see you guys rejoicing when you got, uh, if I may be so bold and honest, I know that there's a lot of people in this room that have had big time struggles with sin in their life. And I want you to know, I, I'm always excited when we hear people go, hey, that's awesome. You're doing great. Keep it up. There's an element of that rejoicing. As much as we can, I want to be mirroring what could be going on in heaven. If God is up there telling his angels, rejoice, the sinner has repented, I hope we're doing the same thing. Right? I hope we're doing the same thing. I don't want to be coming down on the wrong side of God's rejoicing. Finally, and I think you've probably picked up up on this, we ought to be seeking the lost and rejoicing at their repentance as well. We ought to be mirroring these things as much as is humanly possible. Let us mirror our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He rejoiced at repentant sinners, right? He rejoiced at repentant sinners. Now, we're gonna take communion, but before we do, I wanna just say one last thing in regards to all this. I wanna encourage you Let's put each other to the test. You got that person out there that's like, I don't know if I could step foot in a church. I'm, think, I'm pretty sure it'd fall down if I step foot into that church. I'm pretty sure if I step foot in the church, it would crumble all around me. I, I think we are a church that will mirror Jesus enough that somebody that's in that mindset, I think you could tell them, no, not Edgewood. Not Edgewood, Right? Come on, I think you'll find that we're ready to love you no matter where you're at right now. We're ready to love you. We're gonna deal with that repentant peace. Sometimes how it's gonna happen is this way. Sometimes what's gonna happen is people are gonna come in, they're gonna sit down. Oh, I love these people, are so nice, they're being friendly, I all these other things, right? But they're gonna hear the word of God preached and some people are gonna go, that's not for me. That has happened here. And some people have heard that's not for me and they walk away, they leave. But let us at least be of that mindset to say, no matter where you're at, come come on, come on. Be a mirroring of Jesus seeking the lost. He's a savior who has come to seek and to save the lost of this world. Is there a lot of lost people in this world? <laughs> there is. You are ambassadors for this great savior who saves lost people.